Out of way of curiosity, how many of you are New Year's resolution type of people? Put your hand up nice and high. You don't have to necessarily be the resolution type, but just like reconsidering thinking. Put your hand up nice and high. Okay, like a third of us. Uh, the other two-thirds of you, you've just learned that it doesn't work, right? Like by mid-January, you failed, so you stopped trying. Amen? Agreed? Uh, I generally spend a little bit of time between Christmas and New Year's trying to just think through, reassess my last year, and then think about the year ahead. And a couple weeks ago, we were in a prayer meeting. We have a group of people who gather every Monday and pray. And somebody in that prayer meeting, Esther, who's walking out right now, she prayed by Esther. She's probably so mad that I said her name and called her out. She prayed just kind of off the cuff that we would spend time revisiting and then reconsidering. And I do this every year naturally, but as she prayed those words, it kind of, it kind of gripped me and it felt kind of prophetic for me to do a little deeper revisiting and reconsidering. And so I, I went back a couple of years. I didn't just look at 2023. I went back a couple of years. I looked at old sermons. I looked at old journal entries. I looked at thoughts and prayers that I had to God about my own life, my own family, and then our church family as well. And as I was digging through some stuff, I found a sermon that I gave in 2020, January 5th, 2020. Now, I, and as I like just looked at it, I thought, I should re-preach this. A couple reasons. One, it means less preparation, and it was the holidays. Two, how many of you are new since before COVID? Put your hand up nice and high if you're newer to park from 2020. Okay, about half of you. How many of you remember what I preached January 5th, 2020? <laughs> Chuck does. No, none of you do. I didn't remember. So I thought, you know what? This works. I can re-preach this. Uh, but in all honesty, as I looked at it, I thought, you know what? This is a word that I need to hear again. And I think our church family needs to hear it again. And little did I know in January 2020 that when I preached the sermon that a global pandemic would hit and change a lot of things and impact us in ways that we're still discovering and finding out. And so as I read through the sermon, I thought, you know what, I really want to revisit these texts and this idea and this topic with the church family again. So we're going to do that this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as I read our two texts for today. Uh, the first text is Psalm 1, and then the second text is Jeremiah 17. We'll start with Psalm 1 and then flip over to Jeremiah chapter 17. The psalmist writes, blessed is the man or woman, this is a general term for mankind, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law they meditate day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that that person does, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now flip over to Jeremiah chapter 17, and I'm just going to read a little section from a longer portion of text, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man, again, a person, a man or a woman who trusts in themselves and makes flesh their strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. They are like a shrub in the deserts. 
and they shall not see any good come. They shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They are like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Lord God, I pray that we would hear from you this morning, that you would make these texts come alive to us, that you would meet us where we're at this morning and remind us that in your presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And would you grant fullness of joy and eternal pleasures to us this morning as we interact with you. For your glory, for our good in the advancement of your gospel on the earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the big idea that I want to encourage us with this morning from these texts. Seasons are inevitable, therefore environments are essential. Now, do some of you remember it from January 5th, 2020? No? Okay. Seasons are inevitable, therefore environments are essential. That's exactly what these texts are getting at this morning. I'm going to deal primarily with Jeremiah chapter 17 and that portion of the text that we read. I think Psalm 1 matches this idea really well as it talks about a tree by streams of water bearing fruit. Jeremiah chapter 17 also talks about a tree by streams of water bearing fruit even in a season. uses that word season of drought. And we know that seasons are inevitable, right? We're Minnesotans. Winter came, snow, woo! My kids were just praying and pleading with God for a white Christmas, and it didn't happen, and we had to be reminded that Christmas probably, like the real birth of Jesus, probably isn't in December anyway, and also in the Middle East, either in April or September when it happened, there probably wasn't snow, and so we can celebrate the birth of Jesus without snow, even though we're all dreaming of a white Christmas. I ramble on, but we know that seasons are inevitable, right? They come and they go, just like the weather patterns come and go. We have spring, summer, fall, and winter. Our lives have various seasons that resemble the weather pattern. We, we have seasons of life that are more like winter, where things on the surface look dead. You look outside at the trees, they look dead. There's no sign of growth. Are they dead? No, of course not. Give it a couple months, they will be full of green life again. But in this season, the external looks dead. In the spring, everything's muddy. In the summer, everything's perfect. In the fall, everything's beautiful. For like, we, we, we get five or six good months in Minnesota, right? And then the rest of the time, it's like, let's sit inside, look out the window, and everything is dead out there. Seasons are inevitable. This is true for creation, the earth, and it's also true for our experience, our existence. This is exactly what the prophet Jer Jeremiah is warning the people about as he speaks on behalf of God, again, look at Jeremiah 17, verse 5. And the preceding passage, he's, he's preparing them for the season of exile and drought. And he says, thus says the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, the proper name of God, the revealed name of God. He says, curses the person who trusts in themselves. 
Those of you who make New Year's resolutions, like there's a lot of, man, just willpower, trust in myself, do this. And, and there's, there's something to be said about some determination and some willpower, but we know, spiritually speaking, that it, that it doesn't offer life. It doesn't offer eternal life. The gospel is that we receive eternal life and redemption from Jesus alone, not our own effort, not our own willpower. And God here is reminding us through the prophet Jeremiah that cursed, cursed is the person who trusts in their own strength in their own flesh, in their own ability to pave the way. The one who trusts in self and flesh, whose heart turns away from Yahweh, whatever it turns towards. It's turning away from God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the lover of our souls, and it's turning towards the created things. That person is like a tree in the desert, and it shall not see any good come. They shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. There's this season happening here in this text. Jeremiah, on behalf of God, is using this imagery of creation, of the desert, of what happens to plants in the desert when they wither and die. And he's preparing God's people for the season of drought as they enter into exile. Many of them go to Babylon as, as uh, slaves. They're, they're captured. And he's preparing them for that season. There's a season of depression. There's a season of, of life for the people of God where God seems distant, where God seems silent, where they're dragged out of their land, where they're dragged out of their routine of worship, where they're dragged out of their churches, and they are now oppressed by a pagan nation. This is what Jeremiah warns the people of. Then he goes on to say, but blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. So in this 70-year season of drought and exile, there are people who will begin to trust in themselves, trust in the created, trust in the nations, trust in their own strength, their own power, their own intellect, their own skill, and they will wither up and die. But in this same season, the 70 years of exile, in this same season of drought, there are other people who will be blessed. Some are cursed, some are blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts in Yahweh, regardless of the season. Seasons will change. Seasons are inevitable. Blessed is the one who trusts, whose trust is Yahweh. Not just in Yahweh, but Yahweh himself. We don't just trust in what God does, we trust in who God is. We're able to trust in what God does because of who God is. So he's saying, blessed is a person who trusts in this God. That person is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. So regardless of what is happening on the external, on the visible, on the surface, this tree, it has roots that go deep, and those roots reach towards the stream, and it draws nourishment from that stream. The external looks similar to the other people who are in this inevitable season of drought. They're withering, but the person who's trusting in the Lord and has this deep well, these roots that run out to the river, and it sends its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when heat comes. Hot, scolding sun, the season of drought. This is the season that the people of God are entering into. And it does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Isn't that amazing? And, and I remember preaching this in January of 2020. 
Little did I know the season of drought that we would enter shortly after that and confusion. And, and so many of you have clung to Jesus and trusted Jesus through an extended season of drought and you've continued to bear fruit. Praise God, amen. See, his word proves true. Many people through that season of drought begin to trust in themselves. They begin to trust in their podcasts. They begin to trust in their books. They begin to trust in their own attempts. They begin to trust in politicians. Don't do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't bear long-lasting, eternal fruit. So this is what Jeremiah warns us of. Seasons are inevitable. And as we think about our own lives, I want to remind us that our seasons come and go, right? Like the seasons of our lives, I already said this, they're, they're similar to the seasons of the earth, and, and they're a result of our own choices. Sometimes we enter a season of drought. Sometimes we enter a cold winter because of our own choices. We give in to the desires of the flesh. We choose things that bring upon external death and, and, and the remnants of withering, now, hopefully, there's still this root that's reaching out to the stream, but seasons change based off of our own choices. I want you to consider that for yourself some this year. What, what choices are you making, and how are your choices impacting your current season of life? Seasons also change based off of the choices of others, things that are done to us and things that are done around us. We are affected our seasons are affected by other people's choices and actions towards us and just the environments that we live in. So I want you to give some consideration to that. How do other people's actions towards me and how does the world that I live in and the, 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 the environment, essentially, that I live in, how does that affect the season that I am currently in? And then there's also circumstances that are just outside of our control. Like God is sovereign, God is in control, and then the world is at war with God and this affects our seasons. I don't know what season you're in this morning. I'd, I'd like you to spend some time for yourself. I'd encourage you to spend some time considering what season are you in? We've, throughout the last month and a half or so, we've been averaging about 400 people at Park Community Church, and so that means there's probably 400 different seasons that we're in. And I think it's good for us individually to think, God, what season am I in? Does my life right now resemble like the the, you know, kind of the new budding season of spring, like some new things on the horizon? Does it, does it reveal like kind of the completedness, the contentedness of summer? Does it reveal fall, maybe moving towards death, but still a little bit of joy? Does it, does it reveal winter? Is that the season that I'm in? I think it'd be good for each one of us to consider. As God tells the people of Israel and Judah that there's the season of drought coming. I think it's good for us to know what season are we in. So I encourage you, spend some time asking yourself, what season are you in and how is it related to your choices, the choices of others done to you and around you, and then just circumstances that are outside of your control. Knowing the season that we're in minimizes, it helps to minimize frustration. See, frustration is a result of unmet expectation. And if we have unrealistic expectations because we think we're in a season that we're actually not in, frustration will multiply. And so it's just good for our own soul, for our own life to spend some time, God, what season am I in? Why am I in that season? And do you want me to sit in this season for a while or do you want the season to change and shift into a new season? And what would that take? What would that look like? And then 
I've spent some time thinking about our church family and what season we're in collectively. So I want you individually to think about what season are you in and and what does that look like, but then also what season are we in? You are a part of a church family, a church community. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Our seasons, even though there's 400 individual seasons that make up Park Community Church, all of those individual seasons kind of collectively help to breed the ground for the season that Park Community Church is in. And so I've been asking corporately, what season are we in as a church? And I want to spend just a couple minutes talking about this. And if you're family visiting today and you're not a part of our church, sorry. <laughs> I have some family here that's visiting who's not a part of our church. I'm going to spend a couple minutes, though, talking about where our church is. And there's other family from out of town, out of state, who this probably will mean nothing to you. Um, but allow me a couple of minutes to just share with you what season Park Community Church is in as I think and pray about it and as I talk with other leaders and assess our church family. What season are we in? Number one, I think we're in a season of growing in number and hunger. We, the last couple months, we've kind of reached some new record totals for our kids' ministry and our single adults. And when I say single adults, it's not just young single adults. We also have elderly single adults coming to our church and just families in general. Uh, We have, I mean, this morning it's a little bit sparse because of a holiday and snow, but over the last couple months, both services have have been packed. We've been running out of space. It's been a great season of growing in number. And that's fun to be a part of, but I think it's also... I don't want to put too much stock in a season of numerical growth because numerical growth can also be very deceptive and it can lead you astray and it can play with your ego. It can play, it, it just, it's just something to say, well, that's interesting and it's fun to be a part of, but let's not put too much stock in it. So I, I just want to say we are growing in number, but what I personally am excited about as I think about Park Community Church and my own life and my own involvement here, yes, I'm a pastor, but I see myself primarily as a brother in Christ of this church family. And what I'm excited about is that we as a church community seem to be growing in hunger for the Lord, in hunger for an honest relationship with him with self and with others. When I say hunger, I think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I get the sense that our church family, our community is hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And that word righteousness, it doesn't mean moralistic living. It involves being transformed morally. But oftentimes when we hear the word righteousness, we think like, kind of exterior shows of religiosity. What Jesus means when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he means blessed are those who are hungry for justice, hungry to do things that are right, hungry to be in right relationship with God, with self, and with others. And I experienced so much of that in this church family Thank you, church, for staying hungry and thirsty for righteousness, as in right relationship with God, self, and others, and on a journey to try and get there. We're becoming increasingly unsatisfied with playing church and doing religion and checking off doctrinal agreement statements and just kind of fitting the part. Amen? It's tiring, it's exhausting. And in this church, I sense a growing hunger 
for righteousness, right relationship with God, self, and others. And as I talk about it, I talk a lot about intimacy, authenticity, and simplicity with God, self, and others. And I sense that's what we're becoming hungry for. We want deep, real, meaningful, intimate relationships personally with God as we abide in him, as we develop our relationship as sons and daughters of God that we can pursue him without facade, pursue him without putting on a mask, pursue him without, without trying to clean ourselves up and come before him so that he won't be disappointed with us. And we just come to him. We're hungry for right, real, raw relationship with God. We're also growing in hunger for right, real, raw relationship with ourselves, like starting to understand, who am I? How am I wired? How have I been made? What are, what are my sin tendencies? How do I respond to the sin tendencies of others? What, why am I the way that I am? And what if it is good and right and holy? Like authenticity, like God, how have you wired me? And what does that look like? And how does that lead me to sin? And how does that lead me to you? And we're all different. I've talked about this often, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Based off of your personality and wiring, how you experience those nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit might be different than me. Surely they will. Some of you experience joy by sitting in a chair and reading a book. I experience anger doing that most of the time. <laughs> I experience joy when I hop on a snowboard and I ride down a mountain. Others of you might experience anger there. And the, the fruit of the Spirit is not based on our personality. It's based on an authentic love of God, knowledge of self. And so we want to grow in intimacy, authenticity, and simplicity with God, self, and others. And then others, how we interact with others. We actually want deep and intimate relationships. Like, we don't just want shoulder-to-shoulder relationships where we're, like, doing side-by-side activities, remodeling homes, or playing golf, or whatever people do that doesn't actually get into the soul. We want face-to-face relationships where we're actually getting honest about the internal workings of our heart, our struggles, our doubts, our fears, our joys, our mistakes, our regrets, our hopes. Intimacy, authenticity, and simplicity. And, And I want you to know that as we go as a church, like as I think about our Sunday gatherings and all of our ministries, we try to think, what does it look like to be just simple? Right? Like, if you were here on New Year's, Christmas Eve, like, some churches, and I'm not throwing stones at any churches, everyone does a different thing, but like, some churches put a big, a lot of time and energy and effort into production, like snow coming from the rafters, and that's fine. When, when we think about that at Park Community Church, we think, what are we hungry for? We're hungry for simplicity, so let's just read the story, sing some songs, and let God have space to do his thing in our life. And please, I'm not trying to say we're doing it better than another church. That's just who we are. That's our, that's our makeup. That's our DNA. This morning, simple worship, like amazing. Ben and Jenny, they're probably downstairs. Thank you so much. Like a piano and a guitar and just singing songs together. It's intimate and it's authentic and it's simple. And we're hungry for that. So that's where we are as a church. Next, oh, I skipped a couple. Well, the next season is waiting, watching, and anticipating. I'm going to go off of that one so we're not distracted with the last Waiting, watching, and anticipating. As Linda mentioned this morning, we have this meeting coming up. We've been talking about building renovations. We're just waiting on God. God, what do you, what do you want us to do? Park Community Church is a different church now than it was five years ago. It's a different church now than it was 10 years ago. It's certainly a different church now than it was 75 years ago when this church was started. 
And so, God, what, what, do you, what do you want from us? We're waiting, we're watching, we're anticipating. He seems to be doing some new things among us. And, and we don't know what the future holds. We just sang that this morning. I love, like, the Holy Spirit in Ben as he picks songs and tries to, you know, he reads the text that I'm preaching, and I don't tell him much about what I'm preaching because I usually don't know until Sunday morning. And some of you got that. I do think about it ahead of time a little bit. So... I give him the text and he reads through it and he selected this song this morning that says, though I may not see what the future holds, I will watch and wait. I didn't tell him this point. And this is what God is doing in our church. We're in a season of waiting, watching, anticipating what God might do. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's best. We don't know what's right. But we're waiting on God. We're watching for him to work, and we're anticipating what he might do. And then lastly, releasing and receiving. And we say this often when we gather corporately on a Sunday morning. I'll close this out this way, where we open up our hands to release our own agendas, our own plans, our own control, our illusion of control. And we don't even have any. And so we open up our hands to release all these things, and then as we do that, we also want to receive whatever God would have. Now, I don't want to be reductionistic. This isn't the only season that we're in corporately as a church. And again, there's 400 different people, 400 different nuances to the season. But I think corporately, this is kind of where we're at right now in this season. Remember, seasons come and go. So this is the current season. Who knows what this season might look like in a couple months from now, right? Like there could be another global pandemic. And then the season that we're in is like, I don't know, quarantine, so much for our plans. I don't think that's going to happen, right? Cross my fingers, fold my hands, pray to God. Seasons come and go. They change. But what God tells us here in Jeremiah chapter 17, that blessed is the person who trusts in God whose trust is God. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water and it has roots that go out to the stream and it does not fear when heat comes. It does not fear any season for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. We can weather any season as we lean into trusting God. And so then the last portion of this sermon is that seasons are inevitable Therefore, environments are essential, right? That, that's what Jeremiah is saying here. This environment of being planted and having roots that go out to the stream, that's essential. That's an essential environment for a tree to flourish in the season of drought. And so because seasons are inevitable, our environments are essential. And so I ask, what do we need corporately as a church, but then also you individually as just a follower of Jesus, those of you who will not be at Park Community Church again, what do you need to grow as a follower of Jesus? What environments are necessary for spiritual growth? A couple that I want to share with us this morning. The one is just the soil of community. If we think about this imagery of a tree, and God uses this imagery, it's not literal, right? He's using this imagery of a tree here that, that it is planted in soil, right? This tree is in the ground, and it has roots that go out by the stream, and it receives sunlight and water. And so the first thing that I want to just give some consideration to, what environments are needed for our growth, for us to weather any season that we might walk through, is the soil of community. If you're a part of Park Community Church, 
thank you and keep building community. Keep making community. If you're not a part of our church, if you're visiting or if you're looking for a church, find a church or or go back to your church and be in the community. A local church community is the soil. It is the primary shaper of our spiritual health and life. You might find great resources online. You might find great sermons, great podcasts, great books. But over and over again, throughout the generations, the local church, the community of people that you do spiritual life with is the main environment that we need for growth. It's having friends who will point you to Jesus. It's having mentors who will point you to Jesus. It's having people in your life constantly who will just help you walk with Jesus together over coffee, over dinners, over meals, when you're frustrated, when you're experiencing joy. This is the soil of community. It's almost like this accidental discipleship that happens. I've observed this over and over again in other people, but also in my own soul. There's been seasons of my life where I get kind of complainy that like somebody doesn't intentionally disciple me or mentor me. And that's actually happening right now, so I'm not complaining too much. Um, But there's been seasons where I'm like, I kind of complain about the church and the people in the church. That was before I was here because you're all amazing. Other churches. And, and I've neglected to consider kind of the, the accidental discipleship that happens. I want to use that word. Because oftentimes we're like, man, we need intentional discipleship. And I think we do. Like there's a time and a place to be very intentional, very specific, and very uh, intense in our discipleship, whether it's programs, whether it's mentors. But over the long haul, just belonging to a church, just showing up on a Sunday when you don't want to, or showing up on a Tuesday night when it seems inconvenient and annoying. In my own life, I have observed that produces more growth over a long period of time than like some intense moment of like, we did a book, we read a thing, we did like an eight-week study. There's time and a place for that intense discipleship. I think the soil of community helps us with this accidental discipleship almost. Like we're shaped by the people that we do life with and we're shaped over a long period of time. And so church family, I want to encourage you, get into the soil of community. Stay in the soil of community. Secondly, the water of the word. Again, this is imagery that God uses here about a tree in a desert. It's planted in the ground and its roots go out to the river. And so we think about the word of God like water for our soul, whether it's fresh rain coming down from above or it's like the imagery in Jeremiah 17 where there isn't rain. It's a season of drought. Growth still comes by water. And so this tree, it has roots that need to go out to the stream in the same way you and I, we need the water of God's word. That's why we open it every Sunday and we preach it. Keep coming, keep opening the Bible, keep scattering and reading the Bible. And here's the thing that I want to encourage us to do, is to allow the Bible to read you. Like sometimes we do Bible study to try and know things about the Bible and know things about God, but what God wants is for us to know him experientially, and he wants to know us relationally. And so when you read the Bible, don't just read it to know God, yes, obviously, but allow God's word to reveal your inner soul. Allow God's book to read you. 
Where do I fall short? How is my life inconsistent? Where am, I, where am I hungry and thirsty for righteousness and where am I not? And God, would you do something about that? Because if you're not hungry for righteousness, I got news for you. You can't just convince yourself to be hungry for something you're not hungry for. You need the Spirit of God to move and to work in you and to make you hungry for that thing. And the only way that this happens is by consistently nourishing ourselves with the water of God's word. And then lastly, what environments are needed? The light of the sun. And obviously you see the play on words here. The light of the sun. Literally a tree needs sunlight in order for it to grow. It needs to be in soil. It needs to be planted. It needs water. And it needs the sun of God to shine upon it. And in the same way, you and I need the light of the son of God, Jesus the Christ. And so keep looking for Jesus. As you read the Bible, look for Jesus. Be hungry for Jesus to shine his light into your life. As you go to BSF or as you go to community group or as you go to this Bible study, as you open up the word on your own, be looking for Jesus and allow his light to shine into your life and to nourish you. And then I'd encourage you to make it a weekly rhythm to come to church, whether it's park or whether it's a church where you live, and consistently gather to worship God, to be surrounded by his community, and try to be less critical of the community and the church that you're a part of, and just be there and receive God, and look for God, and let God's word water you, and let the light of his sun shine upon you. And as you do that here at Park Community Church, every single Sunday, except for Easter Sunday, we're going to take communion. Because this is a way that we are reminded that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who we need his illumination, his light in our life to nourish us and help us to grow. And so if you're new to Park Community Church or if you've been coming for a while, you know that at the end of every sermon, we're going to open up the table to take communion. Because we want to be reminded of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and that our new life, our redemption, our transformation comes from receiving him. It doesn't come by what we have to offer. It comes by taking in who he is, what he's done, what he has to offer us. So we come to the table and symbolically eat, actually taking in the body and the blood of Christ to receive him. To be reminded that his body was given for us and that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. I'm going to pray. And then you're invited to come to the table when you feel led and ready. You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a part of our denomination. You don't have to have any particular theological agreements with our church. These elements are here for you if you are hungry and thirsty for the righteousness that is Jesus Christ and if you want to take him in and strive to walk with him day in and day out. So I'll pray and then if that's you, you're welcome to the table. There's two here in the front and two in the back. Join me in prayer. Would you open up your hands in a posture of releasing? Father God, in the name of Jesus, through the power and presence of your spirit, we release all the things that we're carrying that distract us from you, that get in the way of you, that try to fill the place that only you can fill. And in exchange, we want to receive your righteousness, your body, your blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the ability to walk in new life. 
So would you nourish us now with this symbolic meal that reminds us of the meal that you, Jesus, had with your disciples and that you will have with us for all eternity in a future day to come. We pray these things in your name. Amen.